This is the J. Scott Outdoors podcast on Western big game hunting and fishing brought to you by GoHunt.com Insider. Research faster, hunt more. Go to GoHunt.com forward slash insider and join today. I'm your host, Jay Scott, and I live and breathe hunting and fishing, spending half the year in the field experiencing God's creation. I hope you'll enjoy hearing about our adventures. Guys, welcome to the Jay Scott Outdoors podcast. Today we've got a really cool episode with Zach Griffith of Summit Productions, and uh, we're going to learn a little bit about nutrition and fitness and uh, get to hear some of Zach's uh, hunts and some of his upcoming hunting schedule and what have you. So going to be a great episode. Uh, I wanted to remind you that Go Hunt Insider's January giveaway, uh, 40 winners, 40 Go Hunt Insider uh, members uh, this month will win a $100 gift certificate for the custom ammo of their choice from Double Tap Ammunition. And uh, Go Hunt over the last several months has given away 10 Kuyu sleeping bags, Sunto watches, uh, elk hunts, mule deer hunts, antelope hunts. They gave away a $22,500 doll sheep hunt in October. They did a coos uh, deer hunt. Two insider members won coos deer hunts just for being a member, uh, an insider member. Uh, you're entered into the drawing each month, and um, two of these coos deer hunts uh, are with Dar Colburn and myself in Sonora, Mexico during the rut, and uh, hopefully we'll be able to get back from Mexico and report uh, a good trip, and um, I just want to thank GoHunt.com for their sponsorship of this podcast. They're the title sponsor of this podcast. And I've gotten a few questions on the additional sponsors. I just want to be clear that when you're using these promo codes, uh, use the word JSCOTT. It's all one word. In the case of Phonescope.com, it's JSCOTT16 and receive 10% uh, discount on all purchases at Phonescope. Utah Hydrographics, it's JSCOTT16 promo code, 10% up to a 10% discount uh, using that promo code. Uh, Wilderness Athlete is the promo code is J Scott, all one word, 10% off uh, any orders in 2000, uh, January 2016. Western Hunter and Elk Hunter magazines. If you go to westernhunter.net forward slash J or J Scott, all one word, and you enter your email address, uh, you will have a chance to win a $1,500 credit towards any Swarovski product. Uh, the outdoorsmen's use the J Scott, so all one word, uh, to to get uh, 10% off all outdoorsmen's packs and pack accessories uh, until February 28th. If you call on the phone, uh, 1-800-291-8065, obviously just tell them you're using the J Scott promo code there at the outdoorsmen's. So guys, I want to thank these sponsors for stepping up and, and uh, supporting this podcast Uh, I put a lot of time into this podcast and try and make it as informative and educational as possible. And so, um, you know, everybody's time is valuable. And I hope you guys understand by uh, getting these sponsors, uh, it makes my job easier and um, it makes my job uh, 
uh, worth my time and uh, value. And I hope you guys see this podcast as a, as a great value. I get emails uh, every day uh, from listeners uh, telling me about their hunts, asking me questions, and uh, giving the podcast praise um, and and some constructive criticism as well. And um, guys, I'd like to hear from you. Uh, I'd like to hear how you're doing. I'd like to, you know, if you have any questions, please email me at jscottoutdoors at gmail.com. You can follow along our adventures, jscottoutdoors.com, uh, on Instagram at jscottoutdoors, uh, and um, Facebook, jscottoutdoors, YouTube, jscottoutdoors, um, and my associate, Dar Colburn, on Instagram at Dar Colburn. Um, guys, like I said, thank you so much for your support. Um, it's overwhelming. Uh, it's it's uh, uh, humbling every day to uh, hear how much you guys like the podcast. And we're going to do our best here uh, to just keep the pedal down and keep some great information uh, coming to you. Uh, if there's people you'd like to hear on the podcast, let me know. Um, and I will try and obl- oblige. So um, guys, let's get right to the episode. Oh, Uh, On iTunes, it sure helps if you can give us uh, a a great rating, a five-star rating, and uh, leave positive comments. That helps our placement on iTunes. And uh, guys, thanks. Let's get right to the episode with Zach Griffith. Welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. Today we have a real special episode with Zach Griffith of Summit Productions. And I've watched uh, Zach's videos over the years, and uh, this guy continues to kick out good content, and I'm excited to have him on the show, and uh, maybe he'll play a little bit of music for me in the background. I, I get pumped up listening to some of his rap music. I'm not a, <laughs> not a rap music fan, but I like uh, some, of the, some of the videos, and uh, I like the vibe. So, Zach, how you doing? Excellent, man. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, I'm excited to have you on today. And, um, uh, you know, one of the things people know you from, Zach, is uh, your YouTube videos. And I I wanted to ask you a little bit of a background on how you started uh, filming your hunts. And, and, you know, you've you've become a a big YouTube presence and what have you. Um, Tell me about it. Well, I believe it or not, I went to college. Uh, I have a four-year degree in broadcast journalism, so uh, my initial intent was to go into uh, sports broadcasting and cover play-by-play, and I did all of that at, at Utah State University for high, uh, college sports and ran the college sports show there. Um, after college, I just found more lucrative career choices, so I kind of got away from it. Uh, about seven, eight years after I graduated, I um, my tax accountant and I were talking and they were, we were going over some tax strategies and seeing how much money I was spending on hunting. He says, you ought to try to uh, create some type of profitable venture where you can actually, you know, monetize your hunting in a way where you can, you know, expense all of your hunting expenses and write them off tax wise. And then also generate a revenue stream because it's obviously something you're passionate about. So having a, a basic uh, video production background, I, I started buying cameras and optics and started trying to film my hunts. And uh, it's funny with a college degree, I learned more in two weeks um, self-filming hunts and, and editing them and seeing my final product than I did in my four years in college just because, A, I had a lot more vested interest. It was more of a passion for me. It, was, it wasn't like a homework assignment. It was more like 
I really wanted to improve my content. I wanted to step up the videos. And then the second thing was I, I felt in college, you know, I was just in a mundane, uh, monotonous classroom, whereas with hunting, I had a lot of resources. Uh, for example, just like uh, the videos you and uh, your, your partners have put out in the past, all of your elk hunting films, and were huge inspirations to me. I watched a lot on how you frame shots. I listened to your voiceovers and uh, got a good a good vibe for what I wanted to do uh, without copying. You know, I, I wanted to kind of do my own thing, but take a lot of inspiration from a lot of the content that was already existing. So that's how Summit got started. The Summit Productions LLC was just literally started to create a business and we didn't know where it would go or how it would grow, but uh, that's what it was to start. And so I kind of changed it around a little bit and went to YouTube, went to apparel sales and, and partnerships with uh, different affiliate marketing and stuff like that to generate revenue streams. But for the main gist of it is it's a film production company and that's where it all started. So, Yeah, I, I um, watch from time to time and uh, you kick out some good stuff. Uh, you know, I want to hit on something that you said there that uh, kind of resonated with me. Uh, I'm in the real estate business and uh, you know, you go to you you go to all the marketing classes in college, and you go to all of the you know different sales uh, clinics and what have you, and uh, you go to real estate school, and you you know go through and get all your hours, and you take the tests, and you do all that, and you basically get out and you have a real estate license, and you have no idea what you're doing, and you say <laughs> yeah. you know in, in in the first two weeks of of you know just jumping into it, uh, I can see a parallel path there with my real estate business. Basically, once you become licensed, you dive in and, uh, you know, you learn very, very quickly uh, or else you get swallowed up by uh, real life out there. And um, so I thought that was interesting that you mentioned that. Um, we've got uh, very similar passions in that uh, you like uh, coos deer and mule deer. And uh, I've never been on an Ibex hunt, but I would assume from a optical standpoint from a glassing, you know, a, a spot and stock. Um, what kind of sparked your interest in that style of hunting? Uh, Ibex in particular? No, just, 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 you know, kind of the glassing mentality to you know, oh. spot them up and go get them type of mentality. You know, that's a great question. I, I grew up hunting in Salt Lake City, Utah, and I didn't even own a pair of binoculars until I was 20. Uh, mule, mule deer in the high country are very easy to find, and I'm sure you know that you killed tons of them. But they're they're easier to spot in those high basins. They're little, you know, they're little rumps stand out like a light bulb. And I, I never needed to look for them because I knew where they were and where they'd be. Um, I moved to Arizona in 2005, and I found out it was extended archery hunt all the way into January. And I was like, you got to be kidding me! There's mule deer out here in the desert. And I started hunting like I would in Utah. I went as high as I could on the highest mesas, and all I saw was these little whitetails running around everywhere. I never saw muleys, and I wasn't impressed by the coos deer at all. They didn't even get me going. I was seeing small, small deer, you know, yearlings and forkies and stuff, and so I, I just didn't get too interested in them, but um, I started hunting the flats because I had heard that's where they're at out in the Suwato flats and started glassing for muleys, getting on knobs early, and just using my cheap Nikon glass that I had bought because I didn't know the value yet. But basically, uh, to make a long story short, I, I ended up getting some Swarovski 1556s. I got a good tripod, um, and immediately I started seeing deer. And so I learned that style of hunting by living in Arizona because I'm telling you, as a guy that grew up in Salt Lake City, you guys are the pioneers of that get high, glass big, 
find and locate animals with your optics. And I learned so much and I grew so much as a hunter. I mean, you, you, you hone your skills to a different level in the arid deserts because there's just such low animal density. If you don't get high in glass, you, you will not see anything. And I mean, you've got to have the 15s to do it. And I remember I bought those swirls and I was driving home with them on my car seat and I buckled the seatbelt around and I was so, I <laughs> could not believe I just had three grand on a pair of glass, but man, you throw them on a tripod and all of a sudden deer just start appearing. And man, the, the day is so much more enjoyable and the hunts are so much more successful. And uh, it's just the way to hunt, man. You get high in the glass and that's, I've learned so much from that. And so I've adapted that to everything, whether it's Ibex, whether it's coos deer, muleys, antelope. I, I, I glass way more than I walk now because, you know, that's what the glass does the advantage to it yeah it's uh certainly one of those quote-unquote eye-openers um when you sit someone down that's you know typically a walk them up type of type of hunter and you sit them down and you know you tell them they have to sit there for a minimum of two hours and you know basically have to look at everything in their view and and then tell you what they see and uh you know i've i've never done that to anybody and not had them just go that i can't believe all of the things that we're seeing um, yep. and, and I, you know, I think it's, um, you know, it's a reminder to all of us, even people that use binoculars and sit down in glasses, um, you know, there's always more that you can look at and you can always crawl up to the next knob and, um, you know, poke around and see what you can dig up. Um, and it's very easy to think that you can just, oh, there's nothing here and, you know, walk down the ridge when you just walked by a buck that was bedded or what have you. Um, Zach, I want to back up just a little bit, um, get a little bit of uh, biography on you. Um, you're, you grew up in Salt Lake City, uh, so I would assume you're a skier or a snowboarder, and I assume with uh, the passion you have for hunting and the, the style at which you go about it, you were a pretty hardcore um, athlete and uh, skier, snowboarder, etc. Talk to me a little bit about growing up in Salt Lake and and um, what you did uh, with your time then? Yeah, I grew up. Uh, all the obviously winters were spent skiing. I mean, you can there's really good discounts for students and stuff. And I have uh, some fond memories of my dad dropped me off at the bus stop in the 6 a.m. in the middle of the winter, and we'd ride the, the you know county transportation up to the chairlift, ski all day, and ride out. And our parents would pick us up after work. I mean, it's just. It's just a part of life here. It's a very cultural thing, and I I grew up this skiing big mountain, and I miss it severely. But it, it got really expensive, and I found other hobbies and passions to pursue. Um, I grew up playing baseball and basketball uh, in high school and college, and just uh, you know I'm very competitive in nature, mostly with myself, uh, trying to just you know improve and outdo my my previous results. So. It, you know, all of that translates into hunting, not in the sense that hunting is a competition, but more just you've got to push yourself and, and never be complacent. There's always improvement to make, and I feel like you'll enjoy your time more when you're rewarded for your efforts and you know inside that, yeah, I put forth that extra bump this year and I yielded this, you know, great buck as a result. Whether there's a correlation between the two, it's not always there, but, you know, psychologically for your mind, it, it, it's 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 appealing to me to, to feel like I earn things. So and that's where I, that's where my sports and my fitness side of things has always correlated directly with hunting. It's like, you know, you, the harder you work, the luckier you get, the more successful you become. And I feel like that's kind of a universal life principle. So. 
At GoHunt.com, we are committed to being the best at what we do, and we take pride in putting ourselves in the customer's boots. The old way wasn't working, so we came up with a new way to give you access to the best draw odds you'll find anywhere. Our dedicated team of data scientists and hunters have gathered information from all over the western United States to provide you with the most accurate odds ever. Select a state, the species you're looking to hunt, the season you're looking to hunt, and even compare the probability of drawing to other units. You'll be given the most reliable draw odds in the industry, period. So don't let your boots get stuck in the mud. There's a new way of doing things. Visit GoHunt.com insider and join the movement. Use the J. Scott promo code when signing up and receive a $50 Kuyu gift card. Wilderness Athlete is committed to improving the health and quality of life for the outdoor athlete by providing field-tested, scientifically validated nutrition and sports performance product formulations. Check them out at wildernessathlete.com and use the J. Scott promo code to receive 10% off any order in January 2016. Yeah, you know, um, how was your two, we're right at the end now of uh, December and, uh, I'm curious how your 2015 season was um, from start to finish and, and maybe some of the, the highlights and, and what you learned the most uh, coming out of the season. And as you reflect into the new season, um, you know, kind of what you're thinking about. Well, 2015 was without a doubt the worst season I've ever had as far as success is concerned. I uh, didn't have as much money financially. I was, you know, I didn't have as many good tags. I usually try to pick up a landowner tags for antelope and, and Colorado laces and muleys. And I had an elk tag I had to sell in uh, Mexico. I mean, they're just one thing after another was just falling through on the financial side of things. And I'm sure you understand, you know, that's a big part of hunting is, you know, to get out there and hunt out of state, you need extra, you know, financial support. So if, if things are tight, you got to stick with the local general over the counter tags and, uh, moving back to Utah this year, I mean, I've hunted here every year, but I haven't hunted it for three, four months straight. So I kind of had a learning curve. I had to find new areas. Utah has very liberal archery seats, a lot like Arizona does. Uh, you can hunt a extended archery here right along the Salt Lake Mountains, uh, Wasatch Front, from uh, literally September till the end of November. So the opportunity was there for me. Um, the problem is, is it's just very unforgiving terrain. It's extremely high elevation. You're looking from nine to eleven thousand feet, uh, high alpine, uh, heavily heavily hunted. Uh, it's over the counter, so there's a lot of public pressure. There's a lot of hikers in the area. You know, just mountain enthusiasts that are non-hunters. Uh, the deer are very, very, very wise and old, and just like any high country muley, they're very tough to kill, spot and stalk, and I'll be honest with you when I say that I've never hunted harder physically, psychologically, emotionally than I did this year. And I never even let an arrow go uh, one day in Utah in almost 100 days, not full days, but just 100 attempts on the mountain. It was well over, uh, you know, the, the effort I expanded was the most I've ever done in my life. And I never had a, a legit opportunity. Granted, I was holding out for a couple of bucks that I felt were in that 200 inch range. And I, I wanted to kill an old, old deer, and I, I had my target bucks, and I, I feel like definitely could have killed other deer, but I've, I've just gotten to the point where I, I just want to challenge myself, and I, I've settled plenty of times, and I just know that those deer that you settle with, that they're only going to get bigger if you can incubate them and leave them alone. So I, I, it was hard psychologically to just 
holding to my guns and I kept, you know, I, I'm an eternally optimistic person. So every morning I go in there thinking today it's going to happen. But when the season ended, I, I never harvested a newly or an elk. Um, I did kill a great buck in Wyoming in September. I drew a, a really good tag there, a rifle tag, and I paid the $30 for the archery voucher to go in a month early. And I was able to kill a great big buck on film, um, self-filmed. It's by far, to me, the best film I've ever been able to compile. Uh, just It worked out perfect. I had a bachelor herd of deer, and he just fed right to me. And I was in a boulder pile, and I had multiple cameras set up. And I got the camera, the kill shot on film, and then the buck expiring. He ran right back towards me. He was 10 yards away, and I watched him expire and struggle as his comrades kind of watched their, their, their buddy, you know, depart. It was it was sombering, it was reverent, it was emotional, it was epic. It was just, it was by far the greatest experience. So the year was bittersweet in that ultimate, you know, the overall picture of it was very unsuccessful, very, very much a grind. But I did come up with the, the gem of my, my hunting career and by far the best film I've ever been able to, to capture. So, you know, my, my motivation going forward to 2016 is just to keep grinding. Um, it's going to be easy to top this year because I had such a bad year. So that's the good thing is I'm, I'm at the, I had a horrible year. So next year can only get better. Um, I'm going to settle down financially and have, hopefully have some good tags. I've got a lot of points built up in multiple states and I'm in that point now where I'm going to start drawing some premium tags, a couple per year. So. Uh, maybe Utah deer and then Nevada deer, I should be able to pull. I've got 10 or 10 to 15 points in those two states and, um, try to kill a big bull elk this year in New Mexico again. Um, just, uh, put in for the tags and keep my fingers crossed. I, I definitely am applying for IBEX in New Mexico. Uh, I will always do that. I'll scrape the money up for that tag because that was a life changing hunt and I want to get back there more than anything to uh, wrap that up while I still got legs underneath because it, it might take me another 30 years to, to kill a big billy, but that's the plan for 16. Right on. Well, it sounds good. It sounds like you're in the right mindset, and it's uh, funny how sometimes uh, the worst year as far as uh, trophy photos and and uh, what, what others perceive as success sometimes uh, and most of the time make you stronger and uh, you get to sit back and reflect about what's important and what have you. And, um, yeah, I, I, you know, it's one of those things, um, you know, you, you got to judge, in my opinion, you've got to judge your hunting and your success yourself. And, and, you know, it, it, this isn't a game where it's so easy to compare, uh, you know, what I shot this year to, to what somebody else shot. And, you know, it's it's unfortunate, but it seems as though our society, you know, our, our hunting group and what have you, it's all about, um, you know, it's it's all about the kill. It's all about, you know, the trophy photo and what have you. And, you know, I, I'm not going to lie and say I don't get caught up in it myself, but it, it's one of those things that, you know, you, you just got to keep plowing. You got to keep trying. You got to keep grinding, like you said. Um, do you have any thoughts on, on that subject? No, I, I actually couldn't agree more. It's, I think just men in general, especially hunters, we're all kind of alpha, kind of type A personality, provider, protector, you know, sheep dogs, and we're naturally competitive. And unfortunately, a byproduct of that is we're going to compare ourselves to our peers. And like you said, we, we all fall into that trap of um, whether you're envying or whether you're d- discrediting the success of another, 
it's it's so critical as as a group of of not to sound cliche but brothers we all we all we are all sharing in a passion and your success in the field does not directly affect or negatively um you know affect me and my success there's an unlimited supply of of and wealth of the wildlife out there there's trophies for for all to share and you know again it's in the eye of the eye of the beholder i, I just feel like you know we as hunters have to recognize quickly that uh, we're we're all on the same page. We're all fighting for the same goal, and as long as we're both smiling, doing whatever we do that makes us happy, that's that's the ultimate goal. And we need to celebrate that. We need to support each other, and especially publicly, just refrain from criticizing and bashing and questioning and undercutting. And it, it's just so natural for us. I mean, humans just have natural tendencies that are. It's just so they're so bizarre, you know, that we would that we're prompted to be that way, but we just have to overcome it because in the end of the day it, it doesn't benefit anyone and it just breaks some tension and uh we don't need that. We've got plenty of opposition out there. We need to work together. So Yeah, I couldn't I couldn't agree more. You you said it very nicely and I appreciate that. Um I wanna switch gears a little bit. Uh, you're really big into fitness and one question I would ask you is um, it, do you see any downside to someone being too fit? Man, I, the, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about your question in a way I really don't. Um, the only thing I can say is I think you can have too much muscle, but I'm actually just coming off on a tangent from your question. Uh, to me, fit means uh, adequately or ad- or apt for a specific performance, like. You know, to be fit as a bodybuilder, you want to be as big and as lean as possible. To be fit as an endurance athlete, you want to be as lean and, you know, have the best lung and a cardiovascular capacity. So it's all relative. As a hunter, I think, yeah, you don't want to be too buff and you don't want to be too thin. You need to be strong to carry a pack. You also need to have a relative uh, low body mass index because the, the more you weigh, the more you need to eat, drink, hydrate, uh, rest, you know, you've got to find that, that endurance, that, that, that hybrid of endurance and strength and agility and quickness. And so too fit to me, if you're trying to be a hunter, no, absolutely not. There's, first of all, you can never get there. It's, uh, it's impossible. It's a mirage. You're always going to be able to improve in some way or another. But I do feel that a hunter has a specific, uh, objective as, as fitness is related to, to the, like I said, a balance of strength, endurance. Um, and, and also staying athletic and, and, and fit where you're not too big, too small, but just that right, you know, mix for the, for, for the hunts and, and the types of hunts that you're going to engage in. Obviously, uh, an Ibex hunt is going to require a lot different muscles and, and, and endurance requisites than, than a, an elk, a run and gun, uh, uh, archery elk hunt would take or, or a high country mule deer hunt. They're all different in their own way. So. How do you balance for... that, Zach? How do you balance? How do you balance? You know the strength portion of it with the, you know, endurance portion of it, and and how in your own personal regimen do you do you find that balance? Is it kind of trial and error, or or do you know right where you need to be as far as weight and and what have you to be uh, at your maximum capacity? Yeah, that's a great question. It, it's, the answer is yes to both questions. It, it, it is trial and error to figure out what your body performs at optimally on the mountain. And so for me, it's taking 
you know, I've lifted weights religiously for almost 20 years. I'm 35, almost 35. And I'm very analytical about my results and my nutrition and my output. And I'm very interested in how my gains work and as far as my strength and production and my endurance and all those things. So as a hunter, um, I do high, high reps, you know, 10 to 15 to 20 reps, four sets, almost all my lifts. Uh, I don't ever strain myself. I'm always looking for form and function first. Uh, I don't use momentum. It's all controlled, isolated movements that are going to tone and and especially uh, build the muscles that I want. I, I do legs twice a week with compound lifts like deadlifts and squats and all of the functional muscle groups that are going to help me as a hunter, whether I'm hiking or carrying a backpack or pulling an elk quarter off the ground. Um, all of these lifts, yeah, I mean, they work aesthetically. I've done some bodybuilding competitions, and I think it's it's a it's a nice you know, goal for you to set to, to tone up and get to an aesthetic objective. But at the same time, if, if you get lean and you're, and you're, and you're, and you're functional, then it's going to correlate directly to your success on the mountain because, you know, looking good and, and being fit are kind of synonymous. I mean, obviously you can take it to extremes when you're doing a contest and you like dehydrating yourself and getting your body fat on healthy levels. But I mean, in general, being a leaner, lighter, fitter athlete is going to be better for you or, or me in general. I probably should only speak for myself because obviously my conditions are different than others, but that, that's, that's where I want to be. So it's, it's high reps. It's, it's cardio, you know, four days a week. And as I hunt during the fall, I do less cardio because my days on the mountain count and I naturally will lose weight from August until uh, November, December. I usually use, lose about 10 pounds and it's a lot of it is muscle just because I'm hiking so hard and I'm exerting so much. But as I do that, I'm just toning and getting stronger and my lungs are increasing. I've not been able to replicate a mountain environment in a gym. I don't care how much time you spend on a treadmill or stair climber. You throw a backpack on and go up a high alpine slope, you're, you're going to be challenged. It's going gonna, it's gonna to push you beyond what you could ever replicate in a gym. So nothing's better than just you know mountain application. But preparation can get you a nice foundation before you hit the hills. Yeah, that sounds like good stuff. Is there a time when you talked about there's a time when you lose 10 pounds um, during the actual heat of the fall season? Uh, are you able to lift at all or are you doing push-ups, sit-ups? Are you doing anything uh, during those hunts or do you just, just go hunt? Well, I, you know, great question. I've heard, and I don't know how true this is, but I, I've heard that seven days out of the gym, your body will start to you know, get catabolic and start to shrink. So if I, if I'm hunting more than seven days, then yes, out in the field, I will try to incorporate any type of pull-ups, push-ups, anything just to stimulate my muscles and keep them aware and awake that, Hey, we're, we're not like retiring from this. We're just taking a short break. Um, but with my career and family, you know, I don't really have a lot of those long hunts. Most of my hunts are Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, you know, weekend blitzes, and things like that. So when I'm in the field, I don't need to train. When I'm home, I train every day. So I don't stop my training when I'm um, during hunting season. It's just I only train when I'm home on the days that I can. In the field, I never do because I want to save all my energy, all my all my juju, if you will, for the, the conditions that might pre- present themselves, you know, throughout the hunt. Because ultimately, I want to I'm preparing for that moment of the hunt. So that's the priority. Um, the training is. Is, is you know secondary or supplemental to the the, the goal of you know 
trained to perform. So, you know, I'm saving that for that moment when I might have to run and haul butt up the ridge or, you know, get across the canyon in a half an hour or whatever it takes. So. Zach, what food do you take with you um, on your hunts? Um, because obviously, you know, a lot of people when they go on their hunts, uh, even if they eat healthy at home, they seem to eat junk food on the mountain. Um, what sure. do you eat on these hunts to keep you uh, your body in tune with your normal routine? Whether you are interested in elk, deer, antelope, bighorn sheep, or moose, Western Hunter and Elk Hunter magazines will bring the adventure to your mailbox. These publications feature articles on the finest hunting gear, tips and tactics from experienced hunters, field judging trophies, glassing techniques, calling strategies, and much more. To become a more knowledgeable and skilled hunter, subscribe today. Go to westernhunter.net forward slash jscott and enter your email address for a chance to win a $1,500 credit towards any Swarovski product. Have you guys heard about PhoneScope? PhoneScope is a privately held company that makes custom-molded, precisely engineered smartphone digiscoping adapters. Photographing wildlife has never been easier. Take digiscoping photos and videos from your smartphone and share them with your friends. PhoneScope stands behind their product with a 100% money-back guarantee. PhoneScope is the future of digiscoping. Get yours now. Use the JSCOT16 promo code and receive 10% discount on all purchases. Check them out at PhoneScope, that's P-H-O-N-E-S-K-O-P-E dot com, or on Instagram, at PhoneScope. Well, the first thing I'm, I feel is critical is just hydration. I, I never drink less than a gallon a day and usually two. And it's tough in high country scenarios because that means a lot of times ascending and descending and getting water and filtering it, bringing it back up. But I just drink so much water that I'm never thirsty. I, I hate being thirsty. So the water is critical. I, I don't cut water. I don't adjust it. I'll carry gallons up if I need to because I know I'll be, I will want them, especially in those high country um, August and September hunts. As far as nutrition goes, uh, again, I'm training and, and preparing for a performance on the mountain. A huge part of performance is being properly fueled to do the, do so. So I, I don't weigh my backpacks. I take the food that I know I will need. Um, I, I don't skimp on anything. If I feel it's going to benefit me on the mountain, then I'll throw it in my pack and I'm going to carry it in there. Uh, typically on the mountain itself, I eat a lot of like complex carbohydrates, mainly oats. They're, they're very lightweight. I can cook them with a jet boil almost instantly. They're an awesome energy source. They're, they're long burning complex carbohydrates. So they last, you know, four to six hours. They're very filling. I think they taste good. Um, uh, one of the little tricks I have when I don't have a jet boil is I put a, uh, two scoops of whey protein, usually vanilla or chocolate flavored. So about 50 grams of protein. And then I use a cup of oats and they're just raw rolled oats and I'll just, mix them with the protein and then add eight ounces of water. It might sound disgusting, but it's actually very good. It, it makes almost like a pudding with like a granola texture in it. And I leave it in a Ziploc. So there's two cup, two, two scoops of protein, a cup of oats in a Ziploc bag. And then you just add water, zip it up, mix it together. And then I'll just cut the corner off the bag and just squeeze it. And it makes a really good little, you know, um, 500 calorie meal, and I can pack those around. They don't weigh anything. You add the water. That's where the weight comes from. And you can keep the calories really high that way. Obviously, I, uh, you know, when I get home, I eat normal food again. But on the mountain, it, you know, I definitely 
keep it simple. Obviously, I, I can't keep stuff cold, so I'm trying to I limit all the perishable items. It's usually just dry oats and protein and a lot of different like cliff bars and things like that. Um, but I'm very conscious about carbohydrates as well. Like if I'm sitting behind the glass all day long and I don't hike or move at all, I know I'm not expending a lot of energy. Therefore, I probably don't need a lot of carbohydrates to fuel that. So I might cut back on the, the carbs and just eat more of the protein bars and, and the nuts and the healthy fats to kind of just you know, satiate my, app- my appetite and keep my calories up. But, you know, when I do run and gun and I move and I'm packing up and down, then I start supplement with carbohydrates to refuel the muscles or replace glycogen and, and, and be ready for tomorrow. Um, and that's stuff that's it's kind of complicated to a lot of, a lot of guys. And it sounds, you know, over the top, but if you train a lot, and that's one of the huge advantages of training in the preseason, is you'll learn how your body reacts to certain foods and how you perform better by taking certain foods in before, after, and during the exercise. And so I feel like a huge part of preparation is just knowing your body and what it will need to get get it done on the mountain. And that's why when it all shows up, you know, when, when September comes, you're you're ready to rip and not just physically, but you're you're prepared with your gear, your your food, your supplements, your waters, all those things, because you know, again, you know what your body's gonna need. What meats do you eat, um, Zach? Uh as much wild game as I can. I'm a terrible hunter, so that's not always in the plan. Um, <laughs> especially this year, I, I, I'm actually humiliated to say that I'm asking friends for meat. So <laughs> it's, it's, I'm becoming a vegetarian really quickly. So, uh, yeah, it's hilarious, but um, yeah, I, I I I just relish. I love wild game. I love it. I love every ounce of it. Um, I, it's like a, how will you it, cook it? What what's your favorite preparation like on grill? Or what? Always okay. Yep, I barbecue everything. I just barbecue it. Uh, put some no salt seasoning on, or just some sea salt. I just I don't know what it is. I I, I don't even really need to season meat. I love the taste of it. I just love uh, elk and deer and back straps and and rump roast or anything I can. I just break them down. I trim the fat and I go to town several times a day. Usually, if I run out, I um, I eat lean, lean protein sources. I eat as much fish and salmon and uh, chicken breasts and egg whites that I can. I, I take protein supplements like isolate, whey isolate, and those types of things for workout. Um, the, the key is I am very regimented with my diet. So I, I weigh my food. I weigh even my meat portions. And I've learned to eyeball it a lot. So there's, you know, I'm not super psycho about it. But I, I just I like to eat to a point where I'm full, fueled, but not overwhelmed or uncomfortable, you know, because it's easy to eat too much, and that's not a good thing if you're going to be training every day or hiking every day or hunting. So as I get older, I'm just kind of dialing myself in and my needs, and unfortunately, when guys call and ask for a cookie-cutter diet or some cookie-cutter advice, there there isn't any. You just got to get out there and train and, and try all these, you know, basic principles that you're taught in nutrition and see how your body reacts to certain things and you know, know what it takes to fuel yourself and what it takes to feed yourself on a mountain for three or four days. And the only way to do that is to get out there and try it and be uncomfortable and adapt and learn and adjust. Um, and, and the more you do it, the better you'll be prepared and the better hunter you'll become as a result. Do you ever eat fast food? That's one question. And number two is when you're either during hunting season or in the off season, you know, whatever, if your family wants to go out to dinner or what have you, how do you handle going out to dinner? Because I know 
My wife cooks very, very nutritiously for me here at home, uh, but it's somewhat of a challenge to go anywhere to eat uh, out. Yeah, it is. It's tough. I, for one, I'm, I'm very frugal, so I, 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 I don't like to go out a lot because I feel it's a waste of money because I'm saying that I can make a filet at home for seven bucks. Why am I paying forty for it at Ruth's Chris or Mastro's or whatever? So, I, you know, that's one for thing for me is I don't eat out a ton. When I do eat out. Um, I actually do have cheat meals. I, I usually plan one or two a week where I'll just say, hey, I'm going to eat whatever I want. It's in moderation, of course. I don't just throw down a uh, you know, a large pizza by myself or whatever. But I, I, I feel like your body, especially if you're eating six good meals a day and you're, you're metabolizing your food properly and you're training and you're active and you're maintaining or, or even reducing your body weight, to throw in a couple cheat meals or, or just throw variations in your diet uh, it's it's a good thing for your psyche for your emotions and also for your body because your body is very smart and it, it becomes accustomed to certain habits and if you're feeding it the exact amount every day you know it's going to adjust its metabolism and back off and start to store fat because naturally we're always preparing for famine because our survival instinct is going to say you know store as much fat as possible for the down times where one of the tricks to offsetting that is to spike your your nutrition here and there and throw throw uh, highs and lows of, of caloric intake into that it kind of keeps your mind and your body and your metabolism guessing. And I think cheat meals are a great way to do that. So uh, fast food's not a huge thing to me, but I do enjoy going out to a really good restaurant, um, you know, when I can justify the expense or whatever and just having a really good dinner, whether it's uh, pizza or just a gourmet hamburger or a great big steak or, you know, something I normally wouldn't eat. Um, yeah, absolutely. And, and I, I definitely plan it. You know, my family's annoyed. They'll, they'll say, hey, are you going to do a cheat meal this week? Like, what day do you want to go out? Like, so it is kind of weird that way. But I've just learned, you know, to, uh, you know, a, a bad meal is not going to break the bank. You, you can survive. And I, and I definitely don't want to ever offend or hurt someone's feelings by turning down a a treat or something in a family function. So I've, I've learned to just kind of adapt and, and just bite the bullet, if you will, realizing that you know, I'm still going to work out tomorrow and I'm not going to die as a result. So the main, main thing is just loosen up about it. You know, you stick to your regimen when you can control it, when you can't, those things are always going to come in, you know, keep it moderate in moderation. Don't, don't binge too much, but just enjoy food and get back on track just, as soon as you can. Do you ever just throw down on a double cheeseburger or a, a frosty or a dairy queen or something? Do you ever just yeah, go completely sure. AWOL? Yeah, sure. And it's actually fun for me to do it because first of all, it usually makes me sick because my body is so like, <laughs> used to just such clean food that I, I mean, I, I yeah. can, the one problem with me is I eat a lot of food. So it's clean food, but the, the quantity and the caloric value is high. So I mean, I could, I can eat a large pizza in one city, no problem. And I can, you know, I can, I can drink a milkshake that's an XL and want two of them. So yeah, it's, I definitely do it, and then you know I'm reminded an hour later why I don't eat those every day because I feel like crap. But I absolutely so your body, enjoy it. your body just totally rejects it then because it's so used to eating good that it it just totally goes haywire. Yeah, especially sweets. It's 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 not so much like a hamburger. I think because if you look, if you break down the composition of a burger, it's still just a, a couple, a, a few carbohydrate servings of high fat, high fatty red meat. Well, I eat a lot of carbohydrates and eat a lot of red meat, so I think my body can say, oh, well, that's that's bread, let's break it down, but that's meat, yeah, it's fatty, and you're going to feel a little bit crappy, but we can still process it. When I drink a milkshake, or my, my big thing is carrot cake, 
anything with high sugar, that's what throws me way off because I don't touch sugar on a day to day. I'm very, or, you know, very whole foods, very basic fundamental foods. I don't add sugars or sweeten anything. So when I eat a piece of carrot cake, I mean, I, <laughs> it puts me into like a <laughs> sugar coma. So it's, it's actually pretty funny, but I love it and I crave it. And about once or twice a month, I'll run over to meters and buy a slice and throw down and just walk out just going, what the heck was that? Like it's, it's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> um, I noticed one of your videos, you were wearing a shirt that said bow hunting sucks. And uh, I wanted to ask you about that. I listened to your video and watched it and I would encourage people to do that. Um, obviously, I'm sure you've gotten some feedback from the shirt. Um, you've probably sold a lot of shirts too. Um, Zach's also selling uh, shirts on his website, so go check it out. But um, talk to me about bow hunting sucks and what prompted that. So the bow hunting sucks thing you know, I, I've actually been thinking about doing that, that, that motto or that film for a long time because my friends and I, you know, the more we, even in the desert, and you know this, I mean, I've gone backpacking out in the Kofas and, and I've gone backpacking way out in those sheep flats and looked for deer and I've hiked three days before not seeing the bucks. And I come back to my truck and I throw my backpack down and I realize it all starts to resonate. I'm a moron. I just spent three days chasing nothing. I didn't see an animal. I never knocked an arrow. I never shot an arrow. Like, this sucks. This isn't fun. But sure enough, the next weekend, I'm packing up, heading out to the next draw over to go check that other basin because we're all driven to do it. And we're insane in the sense that we we hate it, but we love it. And we keep doing it. And I tell you that the more I spot and stock hunt on public land with these average over-the-counter tags, the more I fell, the more I struggle, the more I resent it, the more I uh, not regret it, but just come back shaking my head saying, why am I doing this? But at the same time, the more I want it, the more I'm motivated to improve my skill set, the more I'm motivated to improve my physical capacity to to stay out longer, to go further, to, to hunt harder. And so the, the more I fell, the more I want it. And so it's almost like, the two are synergizing, you know, the more bow hunting sucks, the the better I become as a bow hunter. And my favorite part about the bow hunting sucks phrase is, you know, I, I'm, I work with Hoyt Archery. I'm sponsored by him. I mean, obviously it's a play on words. I'm, I'm a passionate bow hunter. I love bow hunting. What I'm saying is bow hunting most of the time is a pain in the butt. It's, it's, it's tough and nothing in life that's of any value or consequence that I know of isn't tough, isn't hard. That's the whole point. There has to be a contract. There has to be a sacrifice or there has to be pain to recognize the pleasure. And bow hunting is a perfect uh, example of that. It's a perfect metaphor in the sense that it's so hard that when you do finally connect, when the arrow finally hits the spot and you're able to, to stroke those horns and you're able to realize what has just taken place, it's the greatest sport on earth because only the lowest of lows could facilitate the highest of high and and it's that contrast it's that jump and i i'm telling you and, and i i say that religiously that bow hunting the more it sucks the more excited i get because i know when it happens I, it's going to be that much more of a climax because it's the net adjustment that's going to affect my emotions and i the, the higher i get the better i feel so this season as bad as it was like I said earlier, every morning I'd wake up saying, man, this has been a crappy year, man. It's going to happen today, and I am going to scream through the roof. Well, the next day I just kept that that mindset, 
and it never came together. So I, I'm assuming in August, when this finally happens, I'm going to probably have a heart attack and die because <laughs> I've been down for so long. So it's just, it's just to me, it just sums it up. And I love the T-shirt. It sparks conversation. It it gets guys talking. It I, I still have guys to this day that are resistant, or and, and they won't they won't say it because they say I'm. I'm stupid or, you know, you're, you're not a real bow hunter. How could you say that bow hunting is the greatest for, I don't know if it's, they're not picking up on the sarcasm, if they're not actually watching the videos of hearing my, the, the, the numerous explanations I've shown out there about it, but it's just literally, it's a pain in the butt, but it's the best sport on earth because of it. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Um, you know, I, I, I would almost take that a whole another step further in the fact that you could say trophy hunting sucks. And you know, here, here, here on my podcast, uh, we've talked a lot about, you know, uh, hunting for the love of hunting. And we've talked a lot about trophy hunting and, and, and both aspects of, of both styles. And, you know, I've said before, I'm a trophy hunter. Um, and, People sometimes it gets mixed reaction, but it's that same thing of, you know, I, I'm willing to go out and go out and go out and go out and look at bucks and look at rams and look at, you know, bull elk and, you know, try and discriminate and, and, and try and find, you know, the oldest, the biggest, you know, the widest, whatever it may be. And, um, you know, I, I think everybody has their own right to go out and do, you know, hunt and do our our sport and participate in our sport and enjoy it for, for all the different things. But I think, you know, the same thing, trophy hunting sucks. I mean, how many days it. do you go out over and over and over and not find uh, the, the, the quality of animal that you want to harvest? And, you know, um, there there's people that don't like trophy hunting and that's fine. There's people that don't like bow hunting and that's fine. And it's not for everybody, but it's not easy. Um, and you know, and I'm not talking about the, you know, trophy hunting quote unquote that, you know, is, is, you know, high fenced or any of that stuff. I'm talking about, you know, discriminating and and that even, it sounds like a negative connotation, but being selective, I think is, is the best word and and trying to, you know, figure out how can I, uh, push myself to try and find the most mature, uh, you know, the best animal out there to harvest. And, you know, uh, if I was just out there strictly just going to go, um, hunt for the joy of hunting, uh, which I do, you know, I turkey hunt a lot and I never, you know, I shouldn't say never, but I don't judge, uh, the success of the turkey hunt on the length of the beard, the length of the spurs, how much the bird weighs, you know, I judge it on, you know, is the bird gobbling? Is he strutting? You know, how good of a show did he, is he, you know, coming in like a, you know, like a crazy man, you know, strutting all around. I mean, to me that that's awesome. But then also, you know, being able to, you know, find the best ram in the unit or, or, you know, look for the biggest buck or, or try and find a buck bigger than one I've already killed. Or, you know, I, I think it's not easy. Um, and sometimes the easy thing to do is, you know, shoot the first thing you see and, you know, yes, the hunt's a success and yes, you enjoyed it. So great. But, um, do you have any thoughts on trophy hunting? No, you, you've nailed it. You summed it up perfectly. It's, it's selective. It's a pre, you have to predetermine, you have to commit in advance that I'm going on this hunt with the idea that I'm killing a buck that I've scouted that I know is in there. Nothing else will settle. I won't settle or accept anything but him. 
whether it's a ram or a big bull or whatever. And a lot of good hunters go, you know, with the tag, go home with a, eating a tag as a result. And that's, I think that's the hardest part is to, uh, a lot of guys calibrate success on did you kill one. And I think as a bow hunter and we're all at different levels and we all have different goals and aspirations. But to me, my goal and my aspiration is to graduate from notching a tag to harvesting the premier or top specimen in the unit or in the conditions I'm presented. And so, you know, I've learned many times that, that, that eating a tag is, is not a big deal. You know, it's, it's tough when you get home and family and friends and those that are, I don't want to say ignorant, but maybe just not trophy hunters and don't have our mentality. They, they'll scratch their head and say, you didn't even kill one. You were there for seven days or for me in 2013 hunting Ibex, I was there for 40 days and didn't kill one. And, um, I, I used to get defensive and uh, roll my eyes and start an argument. And now I just laugh. And I mean, they basically, the subtitles beneath their face say, uh, I don't understand trophy hunting or <laughs> what, what you mean by trophy or, hunting. Therefore don't continue this conversation. <laughs> yeah. Or you're, an, you're an idiot. Yeah. You're an idiot. <laughs> I don't want to hear it. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Um, and, and, so, and yeah. let's also point out the fact that, you know, there are some hunts that just harvesting an animal is a feat in itself. So, you know, I don't Absolutely. want to sit here and say that, you know, there's every hunt that I would be completely selective. I mean, there are certainly hunts that just harvesting, you know, uh, an animal on that hunt is a feat in, in its own in its own right. So um, I completely awesome, agree. awesome stuff there. Uh, we're uh, about ready to uh, head down to Mexico for uh, the coos deer season, uh, Dar and I are going to be down there for a couple weeks here in mid-January trying to capture the peak of the rut. Uh, I know you growing up as a mule deer hunter, uh, uh, you got your taste of a couple of coos deer hunts. And um, once you saw a mature coos deer, did your opinion of those deer change? And, and if so, how, how did it change and what do you think about them? Since 1982, the Outdoorsman's in Phoenix has made it their goal to provide the very best customer service combined with the latest and greatest optics and accessories in the business. Outdoorsman's is the leading designer and manufacturer of high-quality tripods and mounting accessories for any hunter's optical needs. Go to Outdoorsman's.com or call 1-800-291-8065 and use the J. Scott promo code until February 28th to receive 10% off all Outdoorsman's packs and pack accessories. Utah Hydrographics is in the water transfer printing service and they are open to whatever you can dream up. Choose from a wide range of camel patterns, designs, and colors. Whether it's guns, bows, tools, rifle stocks, vehicles, steering wheels, fenders, dashboards, paint guns, fishing rods, cups, tripods, watches, knife grips, helmets for a local sports team or for your motorcycle, picture frames, mailbox, animal skulls, you name it, they can probably do it. Utah Hydrographics loves taking things that are general looking and turns them into something that looks fantastic and eye-popping. Give them a call and see what they can do for you and receive up to a 10% discount by using the J. Scott 16 promo code. Visit them at utahhydrographics.com or on Instagram at Utah Hydrographics. Oh, absolutely. They are they're, they're they are badass. I can't give you another a better phrase than a big gnarly Roman nose Tuesday. That the character, the mask, the 
the way they strut, the the challenge of finding them and, and staying on them. I mean, I love watching your you and Dar's hunts when you you glass these bucks up from a mile and a half away and then you just disappear. I mean, we couldn't find them again that day or whatever. As a mule deer hunter up here, I just scratched my head like, what do you mean you couldn't find them? Well, when you start hunting in the desert, you realize how thick the cat claw is and the, the buck, the brush, and how, you know, they just they just disappear. And they, the gray ghost is the most appropriate name ever for them. So everything about the coos deer is just, it just, it's awesome. They're just absolutely awesome. They're the coolest little critter around. They're petite, but yet they're 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 little trolls, you know. The, the like I said, the character, the mass, the the palmation, the non typical variations you get in them. They're just so unique and so different and so so. Uh, you just have to you have to see and experience the whole body of a coos deer hunt to really appreciate what they are. Because I think an eastern whitetail hunter, they're going to look at them and, and they're not going to get it. You just have to know. Hey, you know, to kill, to, to take a big coos deer, you you got to be exceptional marksman with a rifle or an, an unbelievable bow hunter. Even if you're sitting in a ground blind, they are timid. They're they're very cautious. They're very yeah. You want to talk goofy. about a string a string jumper? Goodness, that's what, yeah. They're loaded up and and, and you know I think I, I think I saw it on a Fred Eichler video or something. But he someone I someone in the industry had had referred to them as basically the reason they're so skittish is every critter on earth tries to kill them. I mean, bobcats yeah. and little critters get them. So, I mean, you just imagine the coos deer, they're just, a, they're just getting attacked 24 seven, whether it's coyotes or mountain lions or bobcats or, you know, uh, they're just getting hammered. So no wonder they're so spooky and, and they are a, a tiny little ungulate in the desert and they live in harsh conditions. So, I just think they're awesome, and, I, and one of the things I respect most about you and Dar, I mean, you guys kill giant bulls, which obviously are they're impressive to anyone. But your guys' coos deer success is is it's unparalleled. It's unreal how well you guys have done, and a lot of that is more than just being a a good hunter. But you guys are you guys recognize coos deer trophies when you see them. A lot of the deer that I seen in my life, I, I maybe I misjudged them, and I, and I, I've learned a lot of scoring techniques from you guys and looking for things you talk about, you know, you'll say, notice his main beams, notice how much he comes around the front. I, I've, I've learned to hunt coos deer better as a result of your fil- films and footage because I've watched the experts on what characteristics they're picking apart when they select their animal. And it's helped me to become a better coos deer hunter as a result, for sure, because you guys have so much time in the field. I can never replicate your experience, but I can definitely learn from what you're conveying through your film. So. Well, there's been a lot of trial and error uh, there for sure, and I appreciate uh, all the kind words. Um, Zach, it's been awesome having you on today. I want to give you a chance to make sure that uh, people know how to get a hold of you uh, and watch your content and stuff. So give me a little breakdown, uh, Instagram, Facebook, uh, website, YouTube, et cetera. Well, as uh, as a... Um narcissistic as it sounds, I just use my name for my website and all my social media because it's easy to remember and it's easy to find. So it's, it's Zach Griffith, V-A-C-G-R-I-F-F-I-T-H dot com is my website. And then all of my social media outlets, whether it's YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, they're all just Zach Griffith underscore com or just Zach Griffith. So it's pretty easy to find me. Um, I definitely try to crank out as much YouTube content as I can and you know, that's kind of my, my media outlet to promote myself and my sponsors and to just share my passion and 
love for the the sport and also uh, just my my fitness side of things. I'm, I'm extremely passionate about fitness and exercising, and I try to help guys and, and, and maybe give you some hunt-centered training advice and, and other tools to help you just improve your hunts. Because, again, the competition is just with yourself, you know, just improve from yourself day to day. Don't worry about other people and, and just, you know, go at your pace. So I, I try, I try. that's my mission, that's my goal, that's my objective, just to kind of spread my passion and uh, nothing's funner in life than being able to do what you love and uh, share it with others. So it's been pretty easy for me. That's awesome, buddy. Well, I appreciate you being on. I appreciate your passion and, and your voice uh, for, for bow hunting and for hunting in general. And <clears throat> keep up the good work. And uh, uh, maybe I'll see you up at the uh, Western Hunting Expo or, or one of these shows and uh, look forward to never officially met you. So I look forward to meeting you. And I appreciate you being on here uh, at, on the podcast. No, thanks for the opportunity, and I will see you at the Western Hunting Expo. And again, thanks for the inspiration. You guys were a huge, huge, uh, uh, you know, what do I say, just an example to me on what I wanted to do and, and helped me to realize it was possible out there with those critters in the desert. So congrats on your awesome. success, and thanks again for the, the opportunity to be on your show. Absolutely, buddy. Sounds good. God bless you. I'll, I'll, I'll catch you later. Thanks. Take care. Thanks for listening to the J. Scott Outdoors Western Big Game Hunting and Fishing Podcast brought to you by GoHunt.com Insider. Use the promo code JSCOTT and receive a $50 Kuyu gift card when signing up for the GoHunt.com Insider. Research faster? Hunt more? Go to GoHunt.com Insider and join today. 